0: A to Millennials, then Fall Society On today's episode, we are going to be talking about witchcraft in digital spaces and on social media My friend's audio is a little crackly at points, so do bear with us Enjoy! always welcome back to the show this is really exciting as we're we're rolling in with season two um and today i am joined by the amazing hi i'm ruby (laughs) and and yeah we're going to be going over something which um which uh that i don't know a lot about but is very close with yourself and some of our friends as well it's a little bit about witchcraft and and more of the spirituality behind it would you say
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been uh, identifying as a witch for a couple of years now. And I think generally nowadays, a lot of people our age will relate it to that understanding of spirituality and not so much the, oh, spooky, satanic panic that maybe
0: would have come in
1: other people's generations and in history.
0: Yeah. And again, keeping within the theme of limits, as if you're an acute listener, you will know this, um, we are going to be talking a little bit about the more digital elements because, of course, we've all been stuck inside for basically a year now. And so I think it's maybe a good time to assess how how the spirituality and how maybe more pagan witchy ideas sort of go into that. So if you could be so kind, Ruby, um, can you tell me a little bit about witchcraft itself and some of the practices that you do, but also that, that are sort of a bit more commonplace?
1: Yeah, so witchcraft exists on this big big umbrella term I think Um, I think if you get two or three witches together and ask them how they define it you'll get three different answers. Mm. For me um, kind of generic it's about using supernatural means however you want to describe that to uh, achieve my goals um, whatever they may be what this means in practice is I do spells which might be Um, you know, burning some things, lighting some candles, uh, doing uh, all these really focused visualization practices. Um, I'll do rituals, um, you know, on certain times of the year uh, to kind of attune myself to uh, cycles and and, uh, natural forces in in nature and the world around me. It's a lot of ritual work. It's, It's more religious, I think, than a lot of people might see it as. And I think it's some people might you know remove it from religion entirely and that's fine they you know they don't want to say that witchcraft is a religion uh for me i i do see it as kind of a religious path um and it's just a different way of experiencing it i suppose
0: absolutely well i think um faith is is something which is maybe harder to grasp these days and truly knowing kind of what you believe I think we all have a bit of a melange um, and a sort of a mixed experience there. So I think that's that's sort of wonderful that you see it as a kind of a thing that you are devoted to. Um, but yeah, again, that's really interesting, those kind of physical elements, as well as the spiritual elements, which I think is a big part of witchcraft itself, right, is about bringing nature involved and, and the physical body
1: yeah i think that there's so much variety out there now but i think looking back at how witchcraft was sort of evolving and developing certainly throughout like the 80s and 90s um it was very nature-based and i think that's what draws a lot of people to witchcraft is this connection to a spirituality that's really grounded in the earth and the seasons and what you can see around you out in the world and connecting to plants and hmm. some really fun animistic stuff. Uh, animism being the belief in spirits um, in all things. Right.
0: And and I think there's also uh, a really interesting element how there are of course taboo natures to the subject um, and, and with the history that witchcraft has. I think it's sort of it's weird to call it not traditional as as especially pagan ideas have been around in Britain uh, you know for for a very long time so it's it's interesting the sort of age and history that it has but also how kind of hidden it was and and wonderful that um it can be practiced openly now
1: yeah Oh absolutely. And I I kind of see witchcraft as a kind of people are almost reclaiming the word um hmm. because of course I think it's important to note that the people who were accused of witchcraft in in Europe, you know, during the witch trials, they weren't witches. They they were just regular people who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or yeah. have the wrong argument with the wrong neighbor. And so uh Pretty much all of them were very much God-fearing people and um, witchcraft was seen as this awful, awful thing. And people were accused and, and, you know, they were tried for it and it was really bad. They didn't really practice magic in the sense that we do now. They might have done folk magic, but, you know, everyone did and that wasn't really seen as witchcraft.
0: But I guess as well, knowing and understanding herbs and the seasons changes, maybe being good at telling when the weather changes that all of that will have been seen as sort of spooky or... or difficult. I think as well, strong empathic or intuitive abilities also probably tied into it and spooked some people out. And I think it's really kind of brilliant. You're right. I think the idea of reclaiming it so that it can be what it is in the modern world with the bizarre mix of religions that we have, um, I think is really great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and if you think about it, you, you have this archetype of, of the village wise woman, right? Who If she's, you know, you go to her when you're sick or when you think your child is a changeling and you you seek her wisdom and she she helps you. But what happens when you go to her, you seek her help and it doesn't work. You know, someone dies Mm -hmm. or someone gets sick and her spells or whatever don't work. It's very easy to blame her, you know, and I think that's how it shows that, you know, this... Element of magic and mystery um, could really easily be turned around to to be seen as evil and harmful. But yeah, I think now it's it has become a sense of, of power for a lot of people. who are saying, okay, I, I I'm not restricted by you know the world around me. I'm not restricted by you know just the physical. I can tap into the physical through the, these sort of spiritual supernatural means. And uh, minute people things to my advantage Um, and I say manipulate not as in a Uh, Just as a neutral term there, you know, um, Mm, it mm. can be used positively or negatively. And I think that's something to be aware of when we talk about witchcraft.
0: Yeah. And um, let's get into a little bit of, we'll say, your speciality today with digital witchcraft in itself. Because I think it was definitely something that when we have spoken about it, I couldn't quite grasp how it would sort of work digitally. Um, especially on social media. So are you sort of able to give me and our listeners a little bit of an easy talk into it?
1: Yeah, of course. I do want to make a quick disclaimer um, that I'm not coming at this as an avid practitioner of digital witchcraft. And I I really don't want to upset anyone if I I misrepresent anything in any way. But, you know, I have been online for for a time. Um, And so I think as an observer and as someone who's kind of experimented with a bit of digital witchcraft stuff, I think I can talk a bit about it. Um, I think it's just, the, you know, the broad idea is that you're using tech and using digital media to do spells and to do magic um, and to engage in all the things that go along with uh, rituals and, and, you know, mm. non-digital witchcraft practice. Let's call it traditional um, physical yeah. witchcraft how I've, I've seen it manifest in so many ways. Um, one of the things that I do and a lot of witches do is we have altars where we, um, it might be a focus for connecting with uh, a deity or, or an entity of some kind, or it might be a workspace uh, for a lot of us. It's, it's a mixture of both. Um, and I have seen people using video games to make altars you know if it's uh something quite creative like um i've seen it on minecraft i've seen it on uh animal crossing new horizons um wow right and there's again there's there's this kind of gradient there i think some people do it just for the aesthetic purposes like they're just making altars for fun they want to get that witchy aesthetic which i think is so cute and other people, they'll use it as a, you know, really physical means, you know, this is my altar, just because it's on a computer screen doesn't make it any less of an altar.
0: Mm. Well, again, I, I think what and what you said at the start is it's about the power that you give it, right? It's about your practicing, it's about the energy which you're giving into the practice itself, right? So I guess whether it has a physical domain or whether it is, I guess, physically somewhere, but in a digital sense, it's kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think an an interesting discussion that I had with someone recently was about, um, I'm worried I'm going to mispronounce this because I've never said it out loud before. I've only ever read it. Um, Egregore? (laughs) Um, Sorry?
0: (laughs) Do we need to get text to speak?
1: No, I think it's egregore. (laughs) Um, So yeah. Egregores, I think, are basically deity-like or, yeah, deity-like entities that are created by people in a way. Or, Ooh. you know, another word might be thought forms. Um, And you might have egregores if you're working in a group, you know, for a really long period of time. There's this kind of energy that's created when you work with the same group of people that can always that be its own separate entity with like some kind of consciousness if that's what you want to call it Um, so we were talking about digital altars and how in that digital sphere are you working you know if you say dedicate it to the goddess Aphrodite if it's on on a computer are you dedicating this altar to the goddess Aphrodite or an egregore of this like digital Aphrodite Mm. you know almost this other version of her that exists in you know cyberspace um I think it's an interesting thing to consider is you know are you because it could be very much similar in what you're actually doing but just it's because of the means that you're using to tap into this deity it just it manifests slightly differently
0: yeah because of the the platform itself it changes the the energy and I think that's something as well I'd like to ask a little bit about in terms of social media itself, how do you know? How do we sort of see um, the sharing of the ideas of witchcraft or or the communities that are made? How do they kind of interact in that digital space? Because I think a lot of what I know about Beltane and Samhain and the kind of events that we have going on here in Edinburgh um, at the pinnacle turning of the seasons is very much physical presence in a specific geographical location um so how does that kind of manifest uh, on social media
1: the online world of witchcraft is it's growing and growing and growing you know i i've been a member of several online communities for witches over time um you know i spent time on an app called amino i i'm kind of delving into twitter a bit more on twitter witchcraft um I have not ventured into TikTok yet. Um, it scares me, <laughs> if I'm being quite honest. Um, That's very fair. I think one problem with TikTok, although it does happen in, in other communities, I've seen it happen quite a lot, but, but especially so on TikTok, there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of... Mm. Um, there's a lot of fear-mongering. There's a lot of um, people, you know, because... A lot of these topics are really quite nuanced, um, and you can't really get that kind of nuanced detail on a platform that only supports like 10-second videos or wh- or however long it is. So mm. people are giving out this snap, uh, snappy, fast, jazzy information that's really fun, but isn't necessarily true or helpful. Um, so, right. but because it is really accessible and really fun to digest um it draws a lot of people in um it draws a lot of younger people in um i think it's quite interesting that in person when i've you know before uh lockdown and everything i was going to Real life events and and meetups for for witches and pagans.
0: Well, I th- I think that's then quite interesting because social media, as you said, is sort of so quick and snappy, and it it really is a kind of a different generation. But I think in that we're already starting to see some of the limitations that a purely digital experience might have with having sites like tiktok and instagram be very image and video based but also incredibly quick but then you're right in saying there is an interconnectedness there is an ease of access that maybe witchcraft had never had before i think the secrecy is gone so it's about trying to find that wider community but that's interesting that you're saying it's a much older demographic
1: yeah i think there's it's about how we're sort of consuming information how we're learning I don't see, you know, the communities I'm in, it's it's pushed that, you know, you should do lots of reading and, you know, reading books. Um, but I think a lot of beginners might come in and see, you know, there's so much easy information to get from Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all these websites and blogs. It's so easy to become a witch talker or, you know, an Insta witch now. And the problem is, you can get a lot of clout from that and you can get a lot from having the right aesthetic. And this, it, well, it gives you this sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm a really good witch. I'm advanced because I'm telling these people these things and they're listening to me and I'm getting a lot of good feedback, you know, with likes and comments and shares and all that. But in reality, you know, some of these people, have only, they might have only been practicing for, for a year. And meanwhile, mm. the people who are writing the books are people with, you know, 20, 30 years of quality experience in loads of different paths and practices. And I think if you know how to play the social media game, you can really make this image for yourself that doesn't actually reflect how much you know or have experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that, you know, the more years you have, the more experience you have, because obviously it doesn't always add up. Um, You could have, you know, if you've been practicing for 20 years, but only like once a month, you're not going to have the same level of experience as someone who's been practicing for five years, but, you know, once every day. Um, right. But I hope that's making sense. Sort of.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think as well, the, the ease of use of social media will sort of divide experience levels. You're right that, that those who are sort of techno savvy will instantly be able to grow audiences faster and be able to use the platform that they're more familiar with. I think, I think what's interesting in that is it's sort of it I guess I'm trying to draw similarities there's sort of something kind of archaic in that that the knowledge is within the community that the knowledge is within the people and the practice that there is experience to it rather than necessarily I have read this and I know it there's there's a need for the physical presence or the physical practice or digital but still physically doing it rather than just keeping it in your mind there is the element of um, devotion as well, which I think is really important to spirituality itself, because it's no longer just about what you think or what you do, but it is it is the combination of that and kind of an agreed, yes, I am devoted to this, that kind of makes the practice more than just a hobby, would you say?
1: Oh, yeah. And I think that's interesting the way you frame that, because it sets up this lovely little triad um, of, features which I think you need to have in balance. So you've got the knowledge, you've got the practice, and you've got the devotion, the belief. Um so that's really nice the way you've set that up, Louise. Um you've gotta have um I think the problem is and there is a term that gets thrown around sometimes which is armchair paganism, um or armchair witchcraft. Um I don't really like that because it's a little bit I don't know, there's there's ableist connotations there that I'm not really a fan of and I don't I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, um, but it gets framed like that a lot. Um, It's this idea that you do a lot of reading and you do a lot of talking about witchcraft and you do a lot of, you know, chatting about it online. You say, like, oh, it's this festival tomorrow. What's everyone doing for it? You know, oh, I've read this about this. And you have all this knowledge, and it's really good, useful knowledge. But if you're not actually doing anything with it, where do you go from there how you know if you're not mm. having these real physical experiences you know how much value is really in that knowledge that you can share with people um yeah, I think that's quite an interesting thing. and I think if you are someone who really loves reading and reading and digesting all this information talking about it but just doesn't like practicing I think that's fine but I think there's there's an element you've got to have some kind of honesty about that and you know within yourself as well and yeah there's also got to be the the devotional and belief side of it, you've got to really believe in what you're doing and I think that's just a fundamental thing about witchcraft. If you don't one hundred percent believe that what you're doing is real and working, um, especially in the moment of doing spells, if you don't if you know, you've got to cast out all doubt from your mind or else um, you know, things just tend not to go the way you want them to. Um, certainly in my experience. Um so yeah, I think that is a a bit of a limitation with digital witchcraft and and witchcraft on social media is because it does inadvertently encourage you to talk more about witchcraft than to actually do it you know if you were you're doing all the you're talking about all these really intimate relationships with the gods but are they really something that you should be sharing and talking about if they're as intimate as you describe them to be
0: yeah, well, I think it's spirituality, and and I'd rather, or I guess I will be using the term spirituality to try and capture religion and belief as sort of one. Um, that I think the the spiritual experience is something that's very personal. I think especially meditation, sort of the thought process and experiencing of how we view the world is, is incredibly personal, um, and so yeah, in that sharing. You know, I can see how there can be issues there, but I also think a big thing about witchcraft is the community, right? It's about practicing with others, or or am I misinterpreting that?
1: Well, um, this is interesting, because certainly, well, let's have a tiny history lesson. Yeah. Witchcraft as we know it was largely propagated and pushed and and made public by this guy Gerald Gardner in the 1950s when he came out with um, this practice which he called wicca. Um, He didn't originally call it wicca, he called it witchcraft. The wicca label came later, Um, but they were kind of used synonymously for a very long time. Um, And it's only recently that people say no, wicca is its own thing and witchcraft is its own thing, which is fine. I won't go into that. But what I will go into is how Wicca started out as a coven-based practice. Um, you had to be initiated into a coven and you would be in this group and it would be very secretive and mm. you know, it that was your coven. It was like a, a small family um, and then you know you could hive off um, from your parent coven and make your own covens as you know, go up in degrees and there was a whole system there. In the... 80s and 90s people started you know having solitary practices there was um scott cunningham is a really famous author who who um, largely propagated this idea that you can do wicca but not have to be in a coven um and that really changed things and i think over time certainly today it's much less fashionable to be in a coven um because in part because I think it's so much easier to be solitary. Like finding a coven is mm. um, a bit of a—it's a bit of a struggle. Um, and again, I think there's pros and cons to, to either. But one of the definite pros that um, certainly that I've read about is that sense of community. You know, you're practicing and learning together from a group. You, you're initiated into this line of um, of a tradition that you know you could trace back. Um, mm. Theoretically, if you join a Gardnerian coven, you should be able to trace back those initiations right back to Gardner himself eventually, and I think that's, you know, there's something there about ancestry and heritage and community that's not tied by blood, but it's, it's, it's very strong nonetheless, um, and that's just something you can't really get from solitary practice. I feel mm, there's online communities, but you can't, you're never really going to share those experiences in nearly the same way. There's definite value from being a part of an online community. Um, And I, you know, I've actually met some really, really wonderful people through online communities that I feel very, very close to. But I think until you've had those spiritual experiences in person with a group, being able to talk about it face to face, you know, I've read about covens and it actually made me think that, you know, maybe one day a coven might be right for me, but... At the moment, I am very, very happy with my solitary practice, and I think there's value in being able to share the experiences that you had um, with other people. But there's something really nice and snuggly about being able to do a ritual, just me and myself, and my experience of the divine, um, however one may conceptualise that, and knowing that this is mine. This is, you know, what happened in that circle was was for me sharing that with someone almost devalues it for me and of course you know other people are going to have different experience of that and not necessarily you know no one has to agree with me but that's certainly the experience i've had and i think that's why i feel a bit strange sometimes when people share these really intimate experiences online and i wonder if it is to kind of garner this sense of authenticity in a online community
0: well is it is it possibly not even about trying to create it is it possibly or or maybe should i say that there isn't a malicious intent behind it is it maybe that they feel that there there can be that authentic self online i i mean this is sort of a wider argument about being authentic in social media spheres um that you know everything is a created image and it is all a construct um because you can be so selective about what exactly goes on to the platform but is it maybe is part of that you could say oversharing, trying to maybe sort of normalize the 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 practice or is it maybe trying to create a, a real sense rather than only being for show
1: see that's very interesting and I think I don't have a solid answer because mm. I, think, I think for our generation, you know, people younger than us, there is so much tied to who you are as an online personality. I think in many ways, you know, the, the online avatar that you have, it, you know, has its own... Let's go back to egregores. It has its own, like, essence of being. Um, and I think for a lot of people that is very you know very important and very real and you're kind of nurturing that sense of yourself when you do create this online practice. Um, I want to quickly um, diverge a little bit just um, because I feel like I'm talking a lot about um, you know, the, the limitations of uh, digital witchcraft and why I, I don't why it doesn't sit super comfortably mm. with me, but um, I feel like I should have mentioned already because I think it's very important is that um, digital witchcraft is brilliant for accessibility. I think I've, I maybe touched on it before, mm. um, but you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about is making uh, things accessible for people with disabilities or you know, divergencies, um, just whatever it might be. Um, I think the fact that we have these social media outlets now um, and ways that we can use digital media uh, for witchcraft, I think that's brilliant for accessibility. I think if you're not someone who feels comfortable or safe going out to public spaces or even you know right now when you know there's been mm. a lockdown, you yeah, cannot absolutely. go out and meet people in person. But you can still find these communities and learn from people and attend talks and conferences and do all of these things entirely online. And I think that's brilliant. Um, there's, you know, one you might not be able to write for long periods of time or find it really difficult with, you know, spelling or reading. But it's fine because you can, you know, use Google Docs or, um, you know, apps on your phone to keep a grimoire or... Um, a, a kind of witchcraft journal um, and you know that can do spell check and things for you and you can make it really pretty and gorgeous with you know all of these uh, pictures and artistic drawings and everything that maybe you just wouldn't be able to do um, using physical means so I did just want to give that a quick shout out that I really do uh, appreciate how accessible digital witchcraft can be for, for people um, not just for, for people with disabilities or um, additional needs, but for, for anyone.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that sort of comes with technology in general is there there is a huge, or there are huge customised there is great opportunity for customization within accessibility that you can have text to speak and you can have, yes, various softwares that you can talk to and then it writes it out for you or that can spell check or that can, you know, read things if you're partly sighted um, or just can't read. All, all of these things are really brilliant. Um, and so would you say that, because I think witchcraft has an empowering element of its own, would you say that this sort of added digital accessibility adds to that empowerment or would you say that it just goes inherently with witchcraft itself?
1: That's interesting. I would say that there's an element of empowerment that, that goes with witchcraft in itself. Certainly in my own experience, I often get very stressed with university and I feel very disempowered and um, You know, I I feel worried that I'm not going to get things done in time. I worry I'm not capable. I use witchcraft to give myself that feeling of capability and to help support this feeling of, okay, no, I can do this. And and it empowers me to, you know, work hard and succeed. And and I really appreciate that. I know witches that use um, magic and witchcraft to support mental health and to support their confidence and make them feel empowered to do things that they find difficult. Um, Certainly on on quite an obvious level, there's uh, a lot of witches who use witchcraft as a kind of feminist movement, and a lot of people present it as a very feminist thing, which I think that could be a whole other conversation, but um, I think it's noteworthy nonetheless. Um, I think digital media and digital witchcraft does have a sense of empowerment that maybe more traditional styles of witchcraft don't have. I think it's that accessibility and that that way of saying that, no, you don't have to be in a coven, no, you don't have to be able to do this really big elaborate ritual and, and you know, stand at these four corners and wave your arms about and do all these big physical movements. You don't need to do that. You can potentially just do it all sitting down. Mm. I think yeah, and there's not this need to be the biggest witch in the room, and you know, because I, you know, I've been at physical, you know, I've been at events, and you know, people walk into the room and, and they've got these you know gorgeous robes and the, the flashiest pentagram necklaces, and they look great, and um, you know, you, you are struck by them, but you can feel a bit intimidated in a way because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be that witch, but then you go online, and you realize that no, like a witch can be anyone, and you can look at all these people who have come from you know all sorts of backgrounds and I think that sense of online witchcraft can be really quite empowering that you just don't really get from, from if you don't have it.
0: Uh, I'm, I can see where you're coming from I'm with you there. Um, in terms of you think the future of digital and social media witchcraft because i think we can we can agree it's still kind of in its infancy as with um the practice and habits of people using social media itself um can you maybe give us or or where do you feel that certain elements might be leading towards or or where do you think the sort of future of, of social media and digital witchcraft is kind of going
1: i think that so as i've mentioned there's been this kind of movement starting around the 80s and 90s from coven-based practice to solitary practice. And I feel that's a trajectory that we're going to continue seeing happen. Um, however, with that being said, there are people who set up these online covens and there's debate about them and the validity and, and the, the efficacy of them. And mm. um, But I feel like that is going to become more of a, a, a present Uh, feature of modern witchcraft and digital witchcraft. I think we're going to see a lot more online conferences, online talks, online classes, uh, schools, and I think that's really exciting. I think digital witchcraft, um, you know, the magic itself is developing. So there's uh, a type of witchcraft or magic called chaos magic. And it's not something I'm very familiar with at all, so I really don't want to speak too much in it. But I am aware that that type of witchcraft and that type of magic is very well suited to digital witchcraft. Um, A lot more so than maybe other paths such as folk magic, which relies very much so on physical things. Um, So, yeah, I do see it kind of growing and getting more and more prevalent. My worry is that people will lose sight of other really important aspects of learning witchcraft. It worries me a bit that if you ask for resources in some communities, books and all of these older texts, which are really foundational, are not recommended to the same extent. But what you do get is a lot of YouTubers and TikTokers. which some of them are amazing some of these youtubers are really good and and some you know i'm sure there's i'm sure there's good tiktokers out there um again i've not used (laughs) it so mean to the tiktokers (laughs) i just i from what i've seen it's usually been on really salty like twitter threads so like um tiktok's fun uh witch talk i mean there was that whole moon hex thing so like my faith in it is not very strong but you know there 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 are good TikTokers out there. I just I just haven't ventured in to find them. So uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Which influencers becoming more of a thing, more of an attainable thing to be? I think I saw a meme a while back where it was like, in the sixties you no sorry, in the eighties it was fashionable to start your own tradition. In the nineties and. Naughties, <laughs> is that the right word noise um yeah it was fashionable to write a book on witchcraft and now um it's fashionable to um become a become a youtube witch or witch talker um so yeah i think i think that's an interesting progression that, that we're going to see and i don't think there's n- anything inherently
0: negative about that um yeah, sort of hoping it will grow. I think with as with all you know re- religions and experiences and ho- hobbies and you know practices and and sports there is an ever need for uh modernization and kind of you know increased accessibility otherwise I think practices sort of die out. So it's sort of wonderful to see the resurgence in witchcraft alongside a kind of crafty self-care element to it which maybe witchcraft has always had but but is able to f- sort of resonate with um individuals now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um are there any direct resources you'd like to point people towards to help them get involved if they're particularly interested in something you've said today?
1: Oh, I have a whole library of books, um, <laughs> which I probably could recommend. Um, I think a good place to start, I think if people are interested um, and want a good introduction that's really accessible and will have resources that you know, are better recommended than what I could give, I would look at Thorne Mooney's YouTube channel. Um, she is a Wiccan, a gardener does youtube videos and they're very comfy and very nice easy to watch but she has years and years and years of experience and she has some really good videos on discussing contemporary issues in witchcraft and, and she has a video on book recommendations as well and all of the books that she would recommend, I would recommend she also has a book coming out soon which I'm very excited to read hooray!
0: Um, <laughs> I think that's my only yeah I think there's nothing wrong with um, exploring it and seeing if it does work for you, and if it doesn't, that's fine.
1: Absolutely. I mean, witchcraft isn't for everyone, not all of us can wave our hands about and say some magic words for half an hour and you know, feel totally sane um, afterwards. But
0: <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Ruby. Thank
1: you for having me. Um, this has been a lovely chat. It has been. It's been really nice.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A2 Millennials. If you enjoyed, please leave a review or share it with your friends. If you want to be involved or have any questions, email contact at nakamedia.co.uk. Bye for now.